Good people of the internet, welcome, welcome. This is Ken. This is another Ken Burton podcast story, but with a difference because this, folks, is the new series. This is unredacted. Now, what is unredacted all about? Let me uh, let me just give you a brief uh, overview. Over the years that we've done this, and bear in mind that we've done 150 of these over the past, I don't know. 10 years almost, maybe, I don't know, something like that. Um, so there's been an awful lot of stories, and the, the, the faithful will know this. There's been stories I couldn't tell. Um, and a lot of the reason for that was um, I wasn't allowed to, I was frightened to, uh, I... <laughs> Let me level with you. Since I made the podcast stories, and especially during the first six months to a year, I got threatened four, maybe five times. And I was told, stop doing them. You're getting too close to the truth. If you don't stop doing them, then you're going to find yourself with broken legs, right? (laughs) And for those of you who have never uh, heard one of my podcast stories, please do go back and listen to the 150, exclusively on Spotify now. Um, listen to the 150, listen to what's uh, where we are and where we came from. And uh, you'll get a better idea, really, of um, of what all these are about. It's true crime. It's back in 1980, where I grew up in Coventry. Um 1980, I was, uh, I was, in 1980, I was 15. Yes, I am really that old. In 1985, I was 20. So that kind of period resonates with me a lot. And being the sort of person that I was and growing up where I was in the surroundings and the people around me, I decided to become uh, not a criminal. I decided that it was okay to bend the law rather than break it and became a fagging gangster. At that time in Coventry, the whole of the town, the whole of the city was being run by a single family. Anything that went on, literally anything, was handled by the family. And you can liken it. And the only way that I can liken it to anything is The Sopranos. But it wasn't that. I mean, yes, they there was a family and they had lieutenants and they had kind of made men. I hate to use these terms because you're going to think you're going to think Sopranos. And it wasn't that. There were made men. There were people who were very senior within the family, that not necessarily related, although many of them were. And an awful lot of these stories, I got way too close to identifying people. Hence the reason for the threats. I then uh, did a couple of stories where uh, I found myself with some legal wrangles that I had to deal with. Uh, Some people weren't happy. (laughs) And I finally, finally got to a happy medium where I was able to do the stories. But there were certain stories I just couldn't tell 
because they would, without a doubt, identify the person I was talking about. This is one of those stories, and this is where Unredacted has come from. I, quite recently, a couple of weeks ago, ended up talking to somebody. I was at a, a family event, and there was a guy there in the bar, uh, and I kind of knew him, and I know for a fact that he works for the family. And we were catching up. We had 10 minutes at the bar, and I was just saying, how's this guy, how's that guy, how's the other guy? And he, he told me various things. But what he did tell me was about certain people that are no longer around, for whatever reason. I know a couple of people have moved abroad. I know one in particular that's gone to Australia. I know another one um, that uh, has just gone off the grid. He's just disappeared. Nobody can find him. And that is going to be an interesting story. I need to find out a little bit more about what happens when I do. That is going to be a really interesting story. But this story is about someone that's died. Uh, he's no longer with us. And let me let me get straight into this. And I'm just going to throw it out there that uh, all characters and the whole story is fictional unless stated otherwise. <laughs> For legal reasons. Right, okay, let's crack on. Oh, and by the way, guys, those of you that have subscribed to the Spotify, you're diamonds, absolute diamonds. And and trust me, um, the, I don't know, 20 quid I've made from it, uh, I've invested in a mic stand. <laughs> Rather than have to lean down to talk into the mic, I've got the mic somewhere near my mouth now, which is lovely. Anyway, guys, uh, let's get into it. So I guess the first time I met this guy, and I am going to change his name, but I am going to call him Mo, okay? Um, although an awful lot of people called him Moss, but a lot of people called him Mo. I'm going to call him Mo. Mo was an Indian gentleman, he came over, I think his parents had come over um, when there was this big call to get um, Asian families, um, Indian, Pakistani families over to fill the gaps in uh, employment and particularly on the buses. And... Mo's family had come over and his dad drove drove the buses and I think his mum was a clippy, if I remember correctly. I never had an awful lot of conversations with the guy. So it's a little bit difficult. But um, Mo was, how to describe him, the size of a small house. He, he was fucking huge. It, I mean, I know I was sort of, first time I met him, probably 16, 17. This guy towered above everybody. I think he was six foot five. I, I remember him as being a mountain. I think he was six foot five. <clears throat> and for those of you that have watched Game of Thrones, he had a body very similar to the Hound. He worked out a lot. He was extremely fit. 
As far as I understand it, uh, when he was at an age where he could work, he went to work on a building site and uh, became a uh, hog carrier. Um, I think, is it hog carrier? Hod, car hod, hod carrier. So hod carriers, before the days when they put pulleys and stuff in the building sites and had cranes, hod carriers would take a bloody great load of bricks on a carrier, put it on their shoulder and carry it up some ladders to where they where they needed to build this house, right? He was a hod carrier. He was immensely strong. He um, he was just big and scary, and he was an Indian guy, and he never smiled. I don't think in all the time I ever saw him, I ever saw him smile. But let me let me tell you let me tell you about the first time I met Mo. Now Mo worked for one of the lieutenants, um, and the 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 family had a hierarchy, very similar to the Sopranos, although it wasn't that. Um, Mo worked for one of these guys as his right hand man, so he was full time um, driver, protection and anything else that needed doing. If somebody's face needed to be pulverised, they would usually use Mo. Now, the first time I ever met him, uh, I'd been working for the family probably for about a year, on and off, bits and pieces. And at this time, we were still out and about repoing cars for the local garages. And uh, I got a call to uh, go and assist um, with a particular job and it was nothing complicated and it was nothing we hadn't done before three guys uh, with me as the driver I drive them to a location they get out they go into the location I stay in the car they come out usually covered in claret and uh, sometimes they'd be armed sometimes they wouldn't be depending on the situation get back in the car I drive them back simple as that I'd done this probably with Mo twice and then the next time I was asked to drive him somewhere I went to pick him up and it was just me and Mo there was no backup and Mo said in, in the way that he did. And the, there was a very good reason why Mo didn't speak. His accent, even though he was born here, raised here, his accent was very, very strong. Very, very strong Indian accent. Sometimes it was difficult for people like me to understand him. I always thought he had something wrong with his voice. Because he just didn't sound... I met a lot of Indian people. I had a lot of friends that were Indian. Uh, Coventry was, you know, it was India central. And I, I never really understood why you couldn't make out what he was saying. But he had an incredibly deep voice. And I went to pick him up this day. And I, I said to him, you know, uh, who else are we waiting for? And he just looked at me and he just went, drive. 
right okay <laughs> so i started to drive and as we were going he was pointing either left right or straight on when we got to junctions and me and him drove out to this place in Leamington Spa. So we park up outside and I stay in the car. Mo got out. He walked around the front of the car and then he looked at me and kind of nodded his head to the side as if to say, come on. And I thought, really? OK. So I got out of the car and went with him. Now I'm with Mo. Right. So even though I was quite apprehensive, I knew that there was absolutely no risk of life here. <laughs> Mo could handle anybody and anything. You know, I always thought I, I mean, they used to joke about it, you know, and say that um, uh, not going to believe what happened the other day. What? Oh, Mo punched a rhino. <laughs> It was, we used to make silly little comments about him like that. Anyway, I went with him and uh, we were going to a lockup. Uh, now, the lockup had a front door to it and it was like a... Back in the 80s, they, they built these little units for people to, um, people to start a small business from. And this was a big Thatcher idea, bitch. And what, sh what they did was they built units that were probably big enough to put... You could drive two cars into it. You could put racking in there. They weren't massive. They had a little office, which was more like an indoor porter cabin. And uh, there'd be a front door, then a big shutter. And there, there would be maybe 10, 20 of these next to each other. <clears throat> Quite often, they didn't even have names on because so many people started businesses back then because uh, Thatcher put everyone out of work. And uh, especially a lot of the miners, they used the redundancy to start small businesses and just failed. So quite often it was the case. They didn't even have signs on outside. It was just a number. And we went to the door of this locker and Mo knocked on the door. Now, it was probably about eight o'clock at night and it was dark and a security light came on as we went to the door <clears throat> and I wondered if we were just collecting the package or you know picking up a car or something along those lines the last thing I expected was what actually happened and that was the door opened and Mo launched. He, he hit the bloke that opened the door so hard, I am absolutely convinced the guy left the ground. And he was completely, totally spark out. That was the first time I had ever seen anybody actually get knocked out. But the guy was spark out. Lying on the floor, twitching slightly his leg was kind of going forwards and backwards and I thought Jesus Christ all of a sudden I was quite worried why am I there 
I'm not been brought in. I never get brought in because I'm a, a good fighter. I was never that. I was never a good fighter. I could handle myself if I had to. But as fighters go, you wouldn't really want me next to you. <laughs> you want Mo. <laughs> well, the guys lying on, on the deck and Mo sort of looks towards the office and he just said to me, briefcase, and then he walked into the lockup. I went in the office looking for a briefcase and I found one. It was a brown attaché type briefcase. And I grabbed it, <clears throat> checked around, make sure there wasn't another one. And uh, I came out. Just as I came out, two guys walked into the door of the lockup. Now, the only thing I can imagine is that the guy that had answered the door phoned somebody and said, someone's here. I couldn't really understand why, if they had valuables in the place, why they only had one guy there. Because that, that really isn't clever and it's not the norm. The first guy that walked through the door saw me with the case and swung at me. There were no words said. He literally just took a swing. I moved my head backwards and I am absolutely convinced, I swear to you, the, the draft from his attempted punch is what knocked me over. He was also quite a big guy. And so was his mate. And to be honest, they look like the sort of guys you don't fuck with. And I fell into this little interior porter cabin. Completely fell on my ass. By the time I'd got up, and I, I heard it, as I was trying to get up, I heard it scuffles, um, no talking, absolutely no talking, but quite a lot of what was obviously a fight. And I went back to the door of this porter cabin and I looked out, this, this little office, I looked out and the guy that had swung at me was now spark out. He was lying on the floor, absolutely spark out. And the second guy, the guy he came in with, Mo had got him by the throat, had him up against a wall, had lifted him a clear 12 inches off the ground and was punching the guy in the stomach. The guy couldn't breathe. It was... A level of violence I don't think I had ever witnessed in my life. And then Mo just kind of threw him across the locker. And then the two of us walked out the front door, walked very calmly to the car, got in the car, and he went drive. And I did. I couldn't fucking wait. And we drove back to a lockup in Coventry, 
mailed with some other guys, gave him the briefcase. I was given an envelope with some money in it. Cheers, Ken. See you again. And off I went. I couldn't sleep that night. Right? <laughs> Looking at it now, I think I was probably traumatised by it. I was traumatised by two things. First one, I'd never seen that level of violence. Never. In those days, you, you didn't even see that level of violence on TV. You do now, of course. But back then, you wouldn't have seen any of it. And the same thing was, why was I there? What the fucking hell was the point of that? Whose bright idea was it for me to do that? Because nobody should be sending me into a situation where there's fisticuffs. Nobody. And yet, this is exactly what happened. I got over it. Week, 10 days, I got over it. I dined out on it for a little while, telling the boys about it. They couldn't fucking believe it either. But then you look at Mo and you think, oh yeah, I can't believe it. And then probably a month after that occurrence, I got a phone call, sat at the flat, Sunday morning. I got a phone call. Could have been a Saturday. It was the weekend. And uh, it was a member of the family. And it was the guy that gave us work. Usually gave us work. And he said, uh, right, um, I need three of you guys, three cars. You're going to need to be told, which was fine. At that point, we, we'd all got guns at that point. I had my beautiful six hours that I loved to bits and I cleaned it every day. I treated it like a toy, but I, oh man, it got clean more than my car did. It, it was beautiful. My six hours, I had nine mil semi-automatic. I had five mags. I had, uh, I had various pouches, um, shoulder holster I had belt holsters I mean I was oh man I loved that gun loved it and we were we were told and incidentally I was also at that point driving the Cavalier which let me tell you was the best car or one of the best cars I ever owned that Cavalier SRI stage two tuned was fast as fuck Compared to today, GTIs, maybe not so much. But back then, it could outrun any Jag. It could outrun anything that you put it near. It was beautiful, and I loved that car to bits. So, I was just thinking, actually, what, what happened to that? I think I might have crashed it. Because I got the Cosworth not long after that. I didn't trade the Cavalier. I can't remember. So we were told that we were required for a job. Three of us told. Now I was, a bit, this was, I mean, we'd done a couple of minor jobs in between, but I was a little bit apprehensive at this one because we were told, or I was told on the phone, you're going to have company. You're going to have one guy in each car with you. 
and they will do the work. Your job is to protect the exit. Simple as that. Now meet me at the locker. So I made a phone call, three of the guys, three of the guys, two of the guys, myself, all got in our cars, went down the locker. We drive, we drive into the compound and we walk into the lockup. Now the family had half a dozen of these lockups and they were more like warehouses, small warehouses. Um, we went to the, the door of this and we opened it, went in. Nothing in this warehouse. Few few boxes in the corner. A little office to the side. A little office at the back, up a set of steps. And a few chairs. And there was an old couch and a table and a few, you know, bits and pieces. And there's quite a few guys in there. And they're all like drinking coffee and chatting. And we walk in and it was like, how you doing, boys? You're right. Yeah, yeah, we're good. And we were told, right, it's really, really simple. So, nine o'clock tonight, you are going to meet us here. You're all going to have a companion with you. And you're going to drive somewhere. We'll, we'll tell you on when you get here. You drive to a set of gates on a on a fence. Hang fire at those gates. And the reason why there's three of you and three vehicles is in case anything happens to one of the vehicles. Let the boys get out. Let the boys do what they need to do. When the boys come out, they'll get in the cars and come with you. But if anything happens then it's really simple. You dump the car and you get in to another car and then you get the fuck out. Easy. And then he he, <laughs> he decided who was going with who. And yes, you guessed it, Mo was coming with me. In a sense, I was relieved at that. Because I knew what Mo could do. I'd seen it. And I knew that as long as I had Mo with me, there wasn't a lot going to happen. But Mo with a gun? Didn't know about that. Unknown quantity. The other two guys? One of them I'd seen four or five times. He'd been out on small jobs. The other guy? Young guy. I didn't know him from Adam, and that that really worried me. But it was it, it was more of a sense of I just got a bad feeling about the whole thing. I didn't, I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. Maybe it was a gut response. Maybe it was <clears throat> seeing Mo again and, and memories of what he did to those. Uh, three guys coming back I don't know now what we didn't want to do was use our own cars uh for obvious reasons so we had to acquire some vehicles so we drove up to the uh Coven Warwick hospital and uh we procured three cars 
and we made sure they were fairly decent. I was driving a Beamer, I think, and the, one of the boys had uh, an Audi. I can't remember what the other one was. But we, we drove them to a safe place and uh, hit them in some garages, changed the plates, and then we waited, went back to my flat, had a chat. I cleaned my gun, probably. <laughs> And uh, various people came in and out during the day, during the afternoon. And then the three of us went out to the uh, lockup. We pulled up outside and the three guys are waiting for us. Mo gets in with me. The other two guys get in the other two cars. And we were told where to go. Now, just outside, if I remember correctly, just outside Stratford-upon-Avon, the... There was uh, not retail park, wasn't retail park. It was more a sort of industrial park. But I think uh, I think there was a couple of DIY stores there. But anyway, this one particular part of it, completely fenced off, with a fucking great gate and a barrier, and uh, it was really quiet industrial estate nobody there at that time of night especially at the weekend i parked up mo got out the other two guys parked up usual standards so there's three of us uh two of you are pointing one way one of you is pointing the other uh you are 30 yards apart 30 meters apart something like that so that um, if anything happens to one, you've still got opportunity to drive to the next or whatever. And me and my two mates sat in the cars, three boys from the family uh, start walking towards this, uh, this warehouse or this gate. Now the, it was a fairly posh building. It was fairly new and it was a brick building. And even though it was a warehouse, the very front of it was all offices. You could see that. And I mean, it could, could have been a, I don't know, repair shop for all I know, but the boys went off with a set of bolt cutters and took out the uh, chain on the gate, padlock on the gate, whatever it was. Gate was opened, only about two feet. I'm surprised Mo got through it, but <laughs> three boys went through and into there. So the three of us, in unison, all lit up a fag. <laughs> you could see, you could see the glow in the cars. <laughs> one in my mirror, rearview mirror, and one in front of me, and we're all like just. You know, smoking away. <laughs> and, uh, we lost sight of the guys. Uh, and we'd got the windows open because we were smoking. And then the first shot. And it was deafening. And it definitely wasn't a handgun. Definitely. I, I still, to this day, don't know what it was. Or whether or not it was just a case of the noise of it reverberated around the room and 
that's what made it so loud and so weird. But there was one shot. And the three of us threw our cigarettes out the window. Um, I'm staring at the guy in front of me. And the guy behind me is staring at me. And I pull out my cig and put one in the chamber. I dropped the hammer down because I didn't really want it. That gun had a bit of a tendency to be a hair trigger. And I, I dropped the hammer down because I didn't want it going off by accident and put it on the passenger seat. Then probably 30 seconds after the first shot, there were six or seven more shots. And then two or three more shots after that. And then it all went quiet. And we're thinking at this stage, either our guys have been shot or their guys have been shot. But the only reason why it goes quiet in a gunfight is because your enemy's dead. And I'm thinking, surely they're going to come running out. Surely they're going to come in my direction. But nothing. Minute goes by. Another minute goes by. And I am getting more and more panicked. I haven't got a fucking Scooby what to do. Another minute, another minute, and I'm like, fuck this, and I've got out of the car with gun in hand. The boys saw that I got out of my car, they got out of their cars, and the three of us were quite low, we kept quite low, and scooted towards these gates. Then we saw Mo coming out and uh, he had very obviously been hit. Then one of the other guys came out, one of our guys, and he's holding on to the third guy who had taken one in the stomach. And that was the young guy, the guy I'd never met. And they're coming towards us. Then the door of this place bursts open. And the, the last thing, the last thing you want in that situation is an automatic fucking weapon. But I heard it. I saw it, the f muzzle flashes that were coming off this thing. I still don't know what it was. Um, an Uzi, AK, I, don't, I really don't know. But the thing probably unloaded 20, 30 bullets before we could blink. The three of us, and praise to the boys, 
opened up in unison at the door where this had, this had come from. And bear in mind that it was dark. We, couldn't see, we could see a little bit, but we couldn't see a lot. There was kind of security lighting, but it was very dim. It was very uh, yellow light. But we opened up at this door where these gunshots had come from. And the, the three guys are still coming towards us. Mo falls over. And it's only at that point that I realise that he's been shot in the leg. And my mate, the guy to my left, holstered his gun and went to go and get Mo. Brave as fuck. Just brave as fuck. But he ran towards Mo. Uh, Mo was leaning on him. And they, were, they started coming in our direction. Then we see a window of one of these officers break. Something comes through the window, whether or not it was a chair or, uh, I don't know, filing cabinet. I don't know what it was. <coughs> Somebody threw something through the window. And shot after shot after shot. Not automatic rang out from this window so we opened up on the window i probably did the first mag on the door uh reloaded did a second mag at the window and i had one more mag and only taken three put the third mag in as the guys were going past us and we still kept cover on the building and they went towards the cars and Mo how my, my mate managed to do it I don't know but he got Mo into the back seat uh, of my car and then the other two guys stayed together and they got in the first car and we, once we realised that they were in the cars, we heard somebody shout behind us, that's it, we're out, we're out. And we started to run towards the cars. The very second that we turned around, the very second that we lost cover on that building, more gunshots. And I, I could hear the bullets going past me. The first one, second one, third one. And I could not get to the car fast enough. It was 10 yards away. But it just seemed to take an age. It was almost like everything had slowed down. Everything was quiet. And the, the gunshots I could hear were, were muffled. They weren't clear. There was no clarity to the, to the shots I was hearing. But I could hear them going through the air. So 
I got to my car and Mo's in the back. My Oppo starts to run towards his car and I jump in the driver's seat, fire the vehicle up, put my foot on the gas and screech the thing away. Just in time to hear glass breaking. Now I don't know I don't know anyone that's experienced this. I don't know if it was two bullets, one bullet, ten bullets. But it broke the the passenger side front window and the driver's side front window simultaneously which means that the bullet passed in front of my face. Glass everywhere. Just shattered glass everywhere. And then, as I was pulling away, my oppo in front of me started to pull away. And because we were facing each other, we very nearly hit each other. And so he stopped to let me out. I stopped to let him out. And then the two of us started to go forward again. And it was like, it was like a fucking comedy. So I pointed at him. Screech of uh, wheels, bang, he was gone. He was out. And I could see him driving down the road. I put my foot down. I drove down the road, closely followed by my Oppo. I knew the three of us were clear. Now, we'd got set routes. We knew where to go. And we knew where we were going to meet up if we got split. So we headed to those locations. And as I was driving away, it was really, really clear that there were still gunshots. Someone was still firing at us. And I haven't got a clue. To this day, I never knew after that who they were, what they wanted, what the fuck we were doing there. I just never got to hear about it. We met up at the rendezvous. Three of us in convoy. Headed back to Coventry. Mo was conscious in the back, but he was bleeding quite bad. Very high on his left leg. That's where he'd taken the bullet. And I remember saying to one of the boys afterwards, I said, it's a brave fucking bullet that takes Mo on. <laughs> it certainly didn't go through him. We drove back to the lockup. And we didn't have mobile phones. So we couldn't call anybody. We couldn't warn anybody. We just drove straight there. We hit the horn outside twice. Uh, which is the signal to open the shutter. They opened the shutters and the three of us drove in. Shutters closed. 
and then from all directions there are people the family's people came running up to the cars they got mo out and took him to a table lay him on a table the other guy that had taken one in the stomach they got him out although he wasn't conscious and the three of us me and the two boys we still sat in the cars the adrenaline from something like that the um the sense of panic that ensues when you're in that situation it's really really difficult to come down from it my heart must have been doing 10 to the dozen I must have stayed in that car for 10 minutes while everyone was around the three guys trying to help them and then I got out of the car and the boys got out and they looked at me and I, I looked at them and, and one of them just said to me fucking hell Ken what the fuck was that 17 year old kids we were incredible we kept out of the way uh, it was probably another two or three minutes and a transit van arrived um, Mo got, was put in the transit van um, so was the other guy that had come with us but the guy that had taken one in the stomach the young lad <coughs> everyone just left him on the table he was clearly dead you could see there wasn't any colour in them. Very clearly, he'd either bled out or got internal bleeding or something. And the family just went and got a body bag. This rubber body bag put it on the floor and put him in it the senior guy who was there then came over to us and he asked us what happened and we told him and uh, he gave us each an envelope just said well done and I'll see you next time We, the three of us, went into these three stolen cars and drove them to a um, wooded area that we knew just outside the city and put a match to them. And uh, we'd arranged with a friend that he was going to pick us up, which he did. And we all went back to my flat. My gun was filthy, 
absolutely filthy. And I, I, I cracked a bottle of whiskey, poured three of us a drink, and then put my um, cleaning kit on the table. And the three of us, silent, not saying a word, cleaned our guns for the best part of two hours. I didn't sleep that night either. And it, it was the second outing somewhere near Mo. And it's the second time I'd ended up scared shitless. And I must admit that was the first time that I remember saying to myself, is, is this for me? Is this what I want to do in my life? But I still carried on. So Mo survived. Um, and he was out of the picture for months. And I went on maybe four or five jobs with him after that. Never just me, me and him. There was always people there. But it must have been four or five jobs we went on. Never spoke to me. I'm pretty sure he saved my life that day. But then I'm pretty sure I saved his. Never thanked me. Just treated it like it was a, a normal thing. Maybe it was if you were Mo. Heard stories about him uh, after the event. Oh, Mo got caught up in some thing somewhere with, you know, a bunch of guys and he's like ripped the heads off four blokes or whatever or beat the shit out of four blokes. And whatever I heard after that, I absolutely believed it was true. He was massive. Just fucking massive. So there's a lot of people still to this day in the city that know who I'm talking about. So why can I talk about him now? And I couldn't talk about him before. Mo was, I wanted to talk about Mo because he was the scariest man I ever met. He was the most capable man I ever met. I don't think anything, I mean, he was built like the rock, you know, he was, he had muscles on his muscles. But I found out a couple of weeks ago, Mo was married. Mo had two kids. And Mo's wife 
back in the early 2000s I uh, was diagnosed with cancer and she died and uh, he took her back because she was Indian as well he took her back to India he took her home and she died at home and he never came back uh, He had some sort of lung disease after a really, really short illness. He died. His kids stayed in India. Uh, and they're, ju they're just... I think his kids were quite well-to-do as well. One of them, I think, was um, an accountant. The other one was a lawyer. But it was just a bit crazy to think. His dad was a bus driver. He was a fucking hitman. And his kids are accountants and lawyers. Just shows you, doesn't it? In a sense, I wish I'd have got to know him. In a sense, I wish he'd have wanted to know me. Because the guy was just fascinating. He just fascinated me. Never smiled. God, he was a good guy. Rest in peace, Mo, my friend. I will, for one, never forget him. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. There'll be a whole group of people who know who I'm talking about. And they'll never forget him either. Because he was a guy you would never forget. And a good guy, I think. Despite what he did for a living. But there's a, a sense of me that thinks... He did that because he knew that way he could earn high money and afford to send his kids to college, university and get them the very best education. That's why he was a hitman. Not through choice. I'm sure of it. And maybe that's why he never smiled. I don't know. Well, thank you for listening to this one. This has been the first of the Unredacted series with um, my friend Mo. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I've got at least four of these that I can do and I'm pretty sure there are more there was one that I recorded years ago that um, <clears throat> certain people told me not to publish <laughs> so I never did uh, I think I'll probably publish that now 
but I might re-record it because the ending to it would have changed. Guys, as ever, thank you for listening. Thank you to the faithful. Thank you to my new subscribers. And as ever, I will see you on the dark side. Take care, guys. <laughs>